And now Michael Hansen is gonna continue Amen. our Patriarch series. <clears throat> Welcome him. Thank you, thank you. <clears throat> uh, hey, before I get into my message, <clears throat> I'm gonna clear my throat, but then I'm gonna say, uh, these boxes we have at the back, uh, from time to time, typically it goes to benevolence or you know, sort of outward ministries of the church. This weekend and last weekend, uh, all the monies that go into those boxes are going to a new missions base in Brazil. Uh, Christopher and Denise Meyer are a couple that this church has sent uh, to Brazil as missionaries. We support them. And they have been asked by the Shingu Mission to start a new base. And this is a really big deal. Uh, one, because it's the first time any of our missionaries have been asked to start a base. And two, uh, starting a base is like, this is going to be a, a church planting base. They're going to this city called uh, Macapá, and they'll be working with a very small vineyard that is there now with the long-term goal of planting other vineyards uh, in Macapá and in, you know, up in, the, in the, that region of Brazil. And so what we're doing is we're raising money. We raised about a third of it last week, and we're trying to raise between seven and $9,000 because they need to move all their stuff from uh, Altamira, where they are now, to Macapá. It's like 400 miles. But in Brazil, you don't just call a moving truck uh, because the only way to get to this other city is, uh, is by boat, by barge in this case. They've got to load all their stuff, pets and everything, onto a barge, so it's quite expensive to get there, but also as base leaders, they're now responsible for the financial needs of the base. So as a supporting church, we want to get them started uh, in the plus. So just uh, as a reminder, that's what these boxes are for, so please uh, give generously. We want to bless uh, our missionaries. So you can get the, uh, drop that off after the service. Or if you want to go drop a check right now, I'll wait. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. <clears throat> I didn't say that last night, and now I see why. So, uh, hey, we've been going through a Patriarch series, and uh, we're actually coming to the end. Next weekend, I'm going to wrap it up. And if you were here last weekend, uh, Linda Troyer, Linda is uh, like, I just thought she, there was like uh, fireworks all around her as she speaks. She's a pretty, uh, very powerful speaker. She spoke last weekend. Uh, you can hear it online if you didn't hear it, uh, or you can grab a CD in the lobby as you go today. But last weekend, she was talking about Jacob, who's, you know, the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham. They're the patriarchs. And she's going through uh, Genesis 29, the end of 29, the beginning of 30, and talking about just this, all these going-ons with Jacob and his two wives, Rebecca and Leah. And if you're here, you remember that it really, it's just one huge relational mess. I mean, I was sitting there listening to the message, and I thought, my word. That's what I thought. My word. This is a very messed up family. And I don't know about you, but as I was listening to it, I found that very comforting. Because think about it. This, this family is the family that God handpicked. It's the family that God was working his plans on planet Earth through. And they were just a total mess. And I thought, hey, that gives me hope for me. It gives me hope for my family. It gives me hope for us. That God seems to be okay with working with humans and all their stuff. And, and this morning what we're going to look at is a story is, uh, where Jacob, uh, where his, I guess you could say his mess ups in the past are catching up to him. In the story this morning, Jacob is going to have to face his, his greatest fear. And his greatest fear has a name. And his name is Esau. Uh, that's his older brother. And you know, it's, it's amazing to me in this, in this story how God uses this crisis that Jacob is facing to, to get his attention. Listen to this famous quote from uh, C.S. Lewis. It says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now, don't put your hand up. So just answer this in your mind, but how many of you today would say in your life that you're in a place of crisis? You're in a situation where you don't know what to do. It's overwhelming. It could be relationally. It could be in your marriage. It could be with one of your kids. It could be with one of your parents. Uh, it could be with one of your neighbors or someone you work with. Uh, you could be in a, in a crisis uh, financially. You could have credit card debt just you know, overwhelming you. It could be uh, maybe you're going into foreclosure. Maybe your business is failing. That's, that's crisis. It could be uh, spiritually. 
Maybe you're at a point in your life where you're like, you know, this is what I was raised in, this is what I was taught, but now I'm not sure if I even believe it anymore. I'd call that a crisis. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to me how God meets us in those places. Right? One of the things that I want to establish as we talk about crisis is that there's nothing that can happen. The Bible teaches that nothing can happen in our lives that, uh, uh, that God does not allow. Does that make sense? That God, the Bible teaches that God is sovereign, God is totally in charge, there's nothing that the devil can do, there's nothing that any person can do without his approval. So on one side, I go, okay, that's really comforting. He's in charge, he's good, you know, we're, we're gonna be good. But on the other side, then I look at my life and I go, okay, but that stirs a lot of questions. Because I don't know about you, but in my life and in people I know, there's lots of things that have happened that I look at them and, and it causes me to question that. Like, it doesn't look like you're sovereign. It doesn't look like you're active. It doesn't look like you're good or, or that, you know, your, your hand is involved in this in any way. And I remember uh, many years ago back at the church Helen and I used to go to back in Western Canada. It was a vineyard. And uh, there was a couple. They were leaders in the church, people I really respected. And they, they were in a place of crisis. They just had a little baby that was born with some severe special needs. And, and I can remember them you know, their faith has just been rocked. I can remember them sharing with the church and saying that in this place of crisis, looking at God and just saying, how could you let this happen? Or, or, or why would you let this happen? I can remember personally praying for this little baby and, and there were loads of like prophetic words where you know God spoke things to people about this little boy that this little boy is you know he's a precious little boy and God is going to use him and all these different things and they and as they shared about this experience they said it was like I was sinking in this you know this dark pool of fear and anxiety and confusion and the and the guy I remember him saying it's like I was you know sinking down I remember as a kid when you're trying to reach the bottom like I hope it's not much deeper and he was reaching out his foot for some solid ground and and I remember on, on the morning that they shared uh, through tears they spoke of one evening how God's Peace and God's comfort just broke into the situation. They said they were sitting down, him and his wife, and they were, you know, there was, they were like, you know, crying and confusion and just, and just, you know, feeling emotionally drained, and, and they didn't even know what or how to pray in this situation. And the husband said, all of a sudden, out of his mouth, he whispered, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. You know it. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Poof. They hit solid ground. The truth that God met them. God, God met them in that place of crisis and said, I'm still here. I love you. I'm with you. I'm going to walk you through this crisis. Now, you know, again, God is sovereign, but obviously some crisis God allows. Some crisis, struggle in our lives, I believe he initiates, right? Or in Jacob's case, which I think is pretty, uh, is more often than not our case, a lot of the crisis in our lives is brought on by ourselves. It's brought on by, by our own actions. So, so not every crisis is from the same source, but every crisis, every struggle that we're going through right now is an opportunity to land on solid ground, to land on the solid ground of God's truth, that he's with you, that he's loved you, to be reminded that his plan has always been, I mean, John 15, he's the vine, we're the branch. If we're disconnected from him, if we aren't connected to him, there's no life, right? Our crisis is a, is, is a time where God gets to remind us, you need to lean into me, you need to depend on me. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure we're on the same boat with this one, is that I don't like crisis. I don't like struggles. I like, I like uh, checks in the mail, not bills in the mail, right? But here's what I have learned. One of the primary ways that God gets our attention is through crisis, is through struggle. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into uh, this story about Jacob. So let's pray. Lord, thanks for uh, just another day. 
another weekend, another Sunday where we get to gather together. And I pray, Lord, that you would, uh, you'd remind us again today that you're with us. That you're Emmanuel, God with us, Lord. I pray that today you would uh, surprise us with how close you really are. Lord, just uh, like Pam was saying earlier, you know, awaken us. Awaken us to your presence today. Lord, come speak, come do all that you've planned to do today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have a Bible, Genesis 32, we're going to uh, jump over 31. We have Bibles at the front if you don't have one. We also have mints, and we have uh, Bibles at the back on the sound booth. Uh, feel free to grab one. But Genesis 32, and we're starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. Jacob also went on his way, meaning he'd just been with his uncle Laban, and they were parting paths. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, oh, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants and two Teslas. Now I am sending this message, to see if you're listening, now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he's coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. Okay, we'll stop there. Now, number one in your notes says uh, the power of crisis. And, you know, if you remember the story, uh, for good reason, Jacob is nervous about this, this meeting with his brother Esau because, again, if you remember the story, the last, the, sort of the, the mental picture Jacob has of Esau is him, just Esau, enraged and literally saying this. this, is the, this these are the last words he heard Esau say, when dad's gone, I'm going to kill him, right? I'm going to kill him for what he did to me. Stealing my birthright, stealing my blessing, right? I'm going to kill the guy. So he is nervous, like, oh, no, how, you know, what kind of a, what kind of a reunion is this going to be? And, 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 and then he hears, yeah, we, we saw your brother Esau, and, uh, and he's on his way. And Jacob's like, okay, that's good. But then uh, the servants say, oh, yeah, and he's got 400 men with him. Crisis mode. Listen to this uh, uh, quote from Warren Wiersbe. It says, a crisis doesn't make a person... It shows what a person is made of. When we're in a crisis, when we're in a struggle, don't you find that it, it, what happens is you get squeezed and what's really inside you comes out. Like what you really believe in, you know, comes out in a time of crisis. What, what you really believe is important comes out. And Have you ever noticed where or observed someone and maybe, maybe it's, uh, you've observed this in yourself where you know, where you think you know someone or you think you know yourself, and then one of those frightening, you know, uh, surprises comes your way. It could be, you know, financial, it could be health, it could be whatever it is, but it just this overwhelming fear grips you. Have you ever noticed how suddenly you start acting irrationally? Or, you know what I mean, I've observed other people where, where they start to act in certain ways or certain language starts coming out of their mouth, and you look at them like, whoa. Where did that come from? I, you know, I thought I knew this person, or I thought I knew me, and what is all that coming out? Crisis squeezes us. See, this is, I, I believe, one of the reasons why God uses crisis, because he's not just going after our outward uh, words and our, and our behavior. God's going after our hearts. And when I say heart, I don't mean you know, this, this, or, this organ beating in my chest. What I mean is, like the core of who we are, like who we really are and what we really believe. That's what God is going after because he refuses to let us play Christians like some dress-up game. You know, I was thinking uh, in our culture, wouldn't you agree that technology is at, is at a place where we as human beings, we, get to, uh, we can now get so close to the action Almost like we're, we're, we're almost like we're actually participating in the action, but we're not totally there because we don't even get dirty, right? We don't even break a sweat. 
we, we, we didn't pay the price for what these people do, right? It's, it's, it's entertainment. So here's what I mean. I mean, I mean, video games. I mean, video games are just amazing now, how, you know, the graphics and how detailed they are. But, but you know, just because you've reached a certain level in a game or you've reached a certain score, does that mean you know anything about war? Right, like, oh, I'm a warrior because I can win at some game? No, you just got, you're close to it. You're not, you're not actually participating in it. Or think of sports, like, you know, HD and all these camera angles and all these different things. It's like, it's like you feel like you're, you know, you're part of the game, but, but you're not part of the game. All, you know what, it's like, it's, it's, it's like uh, uh, fantasy football leagues or fantasy hockey leagues. I have to throw that in every message. But, but fantasy football leagues, it's like we... We're, 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 we're almost there. We're, we're close to the real thing, but we really aren't participating in it. Well, one of my concerns is that in our culture that we have a growing fantasy Christian league where like, we're close to the action, but we're not really participating. Listen to this verse from 2 Timothy. It says, They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. I mean, that's a, that's a heavy verse. But here's the thing. God refuses because he loves us. He refuses to let us play Christian. And so he will bring crisis into our life because he wants us to experience this side of heaven, the full Christian life, where you're filled with the Spirit of God and you have a sense of purpose you have a sense of, of, you know, uh, of his presence, of his love, of his guidance on a day-to-day basis. That you're his daughter. You're his son and he's with you. He wants us to experience all of that. And so uh, very often in our lives, he will bring Esau's, not literally, but you know what I mean? Esau situations, Esau moments where we go, oh, what do I do? This is way over my head. I don't know what to do. He'll bring those moments into our lives to expose Am I in the game? Or am I just sitting in a lazy boy with a carpal tunnel or whatever kids get in their thumbs? Okay, I'm offending everyone today. So, Jacob is getting squeezed. Now let's see what comes out of him. Verse 7. It says, In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, If Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me. And also the mothers with their children... But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Now, number two in your notes is it says the, the human condition. And when I look at, at, at what Jacob prayed and at what Jacob did, it reminds me of just how we're wired as human beings. Remember the story? There's a story in the book of Mark uh, about a father who had a son that was... Uh, literally being attacked by demons. Remember that story where, like, it just talk about a crisis where the, like a, this, the demons would, would, were trying to kill this boy. They'd throw him into the water to drown him. They'd, you know, throw him into the fire. I mean, it's just this, talk about a crisis moment. And he comes to Jesus with his son and, he, and he, he says to Jesus, he says, if you can, do something. And Jesus looks at him and goes, if you can? And he makes this call and he says, everything is possible for one who believes. And then this father has this great response that I, I, I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm going to give this guy a big hug. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. And that's the human condition. Okay, I know you can do something. I'm not sure you can do anything. Right? You got it. Whoo! I got to do something. Right? That's our human condition. We're going back and forth. It's just part of being broken. Right? I remember... Uh, uh, one of my brothers used to live in New Zealand, and uh, we went down to visit him. This is years ago, and, and uh, my, uh, we had our one son. He was four, our older son, and Helen was pregnant with our younger son. 
And we were in the South Island, and we were driving around, you know, being tourists, and, uh, oh, hey, look, a sheep. Oh, hey, look, another sheep. Hey, look, there's another sheep. But, uh, um, but we're driving, and uh, we're, we're on this, uh, I, can't, I don't remember where it was, but we're driving down this road. It's a long, straight stretch, and Helen was asleep beside me, and our older son, Jeremy, was asleep in the back, and I was doing something really stupid when you drive. You know how when you're tired, and you're just, you basically have slits, and you're like, you know, it's just all fuzzy, but I got this, and you're sort of bombing down the road half asleep half awake and all of a sudden I'm looking and I thought that looks like a building and I realized we were literally 60 miles an hour headed right towards an intersection towards a T and there was a blinking light and I can remember slamming on the brakes and as I slammed on the brakes I yelled shoot only I didn't say shoot (laughs) if I could exchange a vowel but uh but right after I said that shoot I went father like that. And, and I, you know, we went skidding through the intersection, and no cars, skidding into the parking lot. It was a gas station. It literally stopped right in front of the gas station, and there was a woman at the cashier, and she looked like every day, happens every day. And I'm like, you should get a different job. But, you know, I was thinking about it afterwards. You know, once my adrenaline went down about an hour later, I thought, now, wasn't that interesting? I was in a crisis. We're going to die. And just the response, oh, shoot, I've messed up. It's on me. Look what I've done, right? But then right behind it was, Father, I need you. This is out of my control. Isn't that the human condition, that we're we're constantly in that place? Sort of like a seesaw, you know, and here's Jacob. He prays this beautiful prayer, you know, oh, God, oh, my Father, and you are so great, and you've been so faithful, and you've, you know, you've provided, and he cries out for help. You've got to save me. But then when you look at it, as the chapter goes on, he turns and goes into his, you know, got to fix it mode, and he starts acting like God doesn't even exist. Right, so he has this, you know, he prays, asks for God's help, and then he goes, okay, here's what we're going to do, here's what we're going to do. And, he, you know, he, he basically gets all these animals, you know, all these flocks or whatever, I'm not a 4 H or all these groupings of animals and, and he sends them ahead and, and here's his thinking. Again, here's, you know, I believe, I don't believe. Verse 20 says this, for he thought, for Jacob thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. He's trying to fix it. He's trying to figure it out. And you know, as we go through crisis, our actions, how we respond to crisis, is, it's, it's an indicator of whether we're on a path of trusting God more or we're on a path of trusting God less. Right? I remember, and I don't remember when it was, but uh, one time when Danny Meyer, our senior pastor, was preaching, he, uh, he made this comment that at the time I thought, okay, that's kind of simple. <laughs> but, but the more I thought about it, I went, No, that's not simple. Well, yes, it's simple, but that's incredibly profound. And basically what he said, it wasn't this word for word, but basically what he said was, if you're going to keep following Jesus, you need to accept that you will always be in kindergarten. Right? That's that's profound. Because what that means is, this side of heaven, if if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to accept the fact And really, at some level, get comfortable with the fact that there are many things in this life you will not master. And and this is one of them. We are not going to master this. I believe. You got it. Yes. Yay, God. Or, oh, no. Shoot. We got to do something. That's part of that brokenness in in, in, in humanity that that we're never going to master. We're always going to be in kindergarten, we're always going to be a place of learning and relearning and having to go around again and again and again. So, so then, well then, how do I know if I'm, on a, if I'm on a path to trusting God more? Because, okay, if I'm not going to master it, I'm at least going to get a little healthier or better at it, and I think we will. And here's, here's what I mean. So how do I know? Well, when crisis hits, do you see in your life, in your response to crisis, are you quicker to call out to God? Are you quicker to turn to God? 
Are you quicker when, you know, something happens at work or it's maybe the doctor says this or you get a call from the school or just all the stuff of life? Are you quicker, you know, as, as the, the, the fear or the anxiety or the embarrassment or whatever, just, you know, the emotions grab you? Are you quicker to go, wait a sec, this is so beyond me. I need to invite God into this. You know, I need to, I need to make an exchange. I need to hand this off to him because what am I going to do about this? This is so much bigger than I am. i got to give it to him. I mean, do you see that you're quicker to do that? Uh, are you quicker to call somebody? It could be a friend in the church, someone in your small group. It could be your small group leader. Or could, are you quicker to call someone and say, look, this just happened. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do, but I know that will probably send me to jail. What do I do? And have someone who loves you, you know, who, who, can, who can seek the Lord and say, you know what, I think, I think you need to do this. Right? That's healthy. And what's even healthier is when someone says, you know what, I think you got to, don't say that, don't do that. I would back off and do this. You know, are you quicker to respond to that? Like, that's what I really want to do, but, but I know that that's right to do. See, those are signs of, of moving to, of, towards trusting God uh, more. And here's the thing. Don't beat yourself up because you freak out. Don't beat yourself up because you, because you mess up. You're in kindergarten, right? You're, right, you're, you're like, give me another crayon. Right, it's like, uh, don't freak out. Or, or don't, don't beat yourself up when you freak out. Just don't stay there. Be quick to go to God with it. So uh, Jacob puts his plan into action, and, and let's go on to the, uh, to the third point, or, or verse 24. Uh, it says, so when Jacob was left alone, and, and basically what he'd done in the story is, you know, he's got all these groupings of animals together, and he's getting ready to meet his brother Esau the next day, and he, and he sends all the animals, all his, you know, his wives and kids, everything uh, across this river, and he's now sitting, he's sort of left in the KOA campground, all by himself. So when, when Jacob was left alone, and this is a bizarre story, listen to this, he goes, and a, a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket, socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, Jacob he answered, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Now, Jacob's all alone. And, you know, I don't know what it is about being alone or, or, or solitude. Uh, that can be a, a scary place. And, and this is not something I'm really proud of, but how many of you, or I'll say, uh, uh, would get homesick when you were a kid? Come on, don't leave me alone here. Thank you. Even some men. Oh, Thank you. But I, you know what? I, I was like the homesick king. I can remember getting dropped off and my parents, you're okay, right? Oh, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. You're okay, right? Oh, yeah, I'm okay. And I can remember that, you know, during the, the, uh, during the day at my friend's place, we'd be playing and running around and having a ball and just being kids, and I was fine. But what was it about at night when, you, you know, you're, you, go to, you go to bed and, okay, good night, lights are off, and you're lying there, and it's dark, and it's quiet, and you feel all alone. I can remember as a kid, like a wave of anxiety and fear and oh, would just flood over me. Right? There's just something about being alone where, where the, you know, we try to keep all those fears, all the stuff at bay. Right? But when we get, when it, you know, don't you find when you go to sleep at night, it comes rushing in like a river. And, and so here's Jacob, and, and the truth is, uh, he actually wasn't alone. Obviously, God was there with him. And, and uh, this is a story, it's a famous story where, you know, where Jacob is wrestling with God. And I can remember when I was younger hearing teachings on this story where, they, where this story was used to teach on prayer. Have you ever heard a, you know, a message where it's like, you know, it's on persevering in prayer. Like, we gotta, we gotta wrestle. There's Jacob grappling, you know, with, with God. And we gotta wrestle those things from him. We gotta pry open his hand to, to get these things from God. And I'm like, wait a minute. Does, does that sound at all like God? Right? We gotta, we gotta wrestle things out of his hand? 
I don't believe that's true at all. Listen, listen, uh, this, is, this is God's heart. Listen to uh, Romans 8 verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I mean, does that sound like someone who says, okay, here it is. Come on, <laughs> come on, you know, give me your best shots. If you can get this out of my hand. It's like, no, he is incredibly incredibly generous and you know I think in our culture this is a side note I think we miss out on how rich of a promise a verse like this is because we have put uh, we value stuff over relationship it's like God is saying and as he's saying I'm giving you me me all of me I'm giving you me and we're like okay that's great but you know what about that Tesla Right? I mean, it's like we're, we, and again, that's part of the human condition, right? We miss out on that, that he's, he's offering, you know, just himself to us. And, you know, you look at the life of Jacob, and it's, and, it, and it's amazing to me that all his life, Jacob is fighting to get what God had always promised to give him. I mean, think about it. He's, you know, he's, he's conniving and he's cheating his brother to get his birthright. You know, here's some soup, give me, you know, sign on the dotted line. Or he's, he's, he's deceiving his own father because he just had to get the blessing. Well, I, you know what I mean? I got to, you know, him and his mother scheming this whole plan and you'll dress up. And he's, he's fighting to get what God had always promised to him. Even when he was in the womb, before he was born. Remember back in Genesis, I think it was 25, you know, here's Rebecca, she's pregnant, and they got these, she's, these twins in her womb, and it's like a little rumble going on, and God speaks to her and says, hey, just so you know, the older one is going to serve the younger one. I've chosen the younger one. Right? He would have known that. Rebecca would have told him that. Uh, a few weeks ago, Danny taught on this, the open heaven where Jacob has this incredible vision where God comes to him and says, Jacob, all this land, I'm giving it to you. Jacob, you know, you're going to have oodles of descendants. You're going to bless, you know, the whole world through, through your line, Jacob. I, and, and, and you get me. I'm going to be with you through it all. All these blessings. And yet, Jacob was trying to fight and connive and, dis, you know, and manipulate to get what God had already promised to him. Listen to this quote from John White. Tragically, he had missed in the struggle, the peace and the fellowship with God he might otherwise have enjoyed. God had wanted him to have the inheritance plus peace and fellowship with himself. Instead, Jacob had 21 years of anxiety. See, he didn't believe. It's that human condition. Okay, you made this promise? Okay, I gotta make it happen. Right? He just didn't believe that God would do what he, what he said he would do. And so here he is, you know, wrestling. And, and it's really not Jacob wrestling with God. Because really what the story says, you know, uh, it's like God jumped him. It's God is wrestling with Jacob. And a lot of the commentaries that I read say that, that this man in this passage, it isn't just some guy, it was Jesus that it's a pre-incarnation of Jesus. We didn't have Christmas yet. You know, baby Jesus, he hadn't come to earth yet. So this is a pre-incarnation. This is Jesus come to wrestle. And it's like, okay, well, okay, Jesus, well, why did you appear to Jacob as a wrestler? You know, why didn't you come walking in looking like Gandalf or something? Like, why, why a wrestler? And I think it's because Jesus knew that's, because that's Jacob. That's how he thinks, right? All his life, I mean, at birth, he was already grabbing onto his brother's heel. I mean, this guy is a wrestler. Uh, that's how he thinks. That's his view on life. And if, if, if there's something to be God, I'm going to have to fight to get it. And so is God, uh, is, he, is he, you know, as he's coming after Jacob, and is he coming after him to punish him? Like, why I ought to, you know, I'm just so tired of your conniving and your deception and all your manipulating. It's like, no, he's not there to punish him. And, you know, the picture I get is that he, Jesus is coming to Jacob in this wrestling match. He's coming as a lifeguard. And what I mean is he's looking at his, at his boy, Jacob. He loves Jacob. He has plans for Jacob. And all his life, he's watching Jacob flounder. He's, you know, floundering in the water. And he's like, oh, 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 he made it. Oh, oh, he almost went under. Oh, and now in this crisis, and this is a pivotal point in Jacob's life, 
Jesus is looking at him and he's going, if I don't step in like a lifeguard, if I don't jump in the water after him, he's, he's not going to make it. Right? The, if, if he doesn't change what he's doing, he's, he's, he's going to drown. Uh, so he jumps in to the water and they start to wrestle with him. And, and listen to what verse 25 says. When the man saw, when Jesus saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And I, so now when I read that, here's what I think. Wait a minute. What do you mean he couldn't overpower him? Like this is Jesus wrestling with Jacob. It's like an elephant wrestling with a tiny little bug. It's like, hey, do you feel something? You know, it's like it's over. Ding, 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 ding. Hey, hey. I mean, there's just no, there's no contest. What do you mean he couldn't overpower him? Well, what he couldn't overpower, or better put, what Jesus wouldn't overpower was Jacob's will. They're wrestling, and there's Jesus. You know, he's probably wrestling with one hand, and he's making pancakes over here. You know what I mean? Like, and what he, what, he, what he was waiting for and what Jacob wouldn't do is give, submit. That's what he couldn't overpower. What does that say about the strength of our will? That you could resist God as human beings. That our will is so strong that we can just go, nope, nope. I know you're the elephant and I'm the bug. You're not the boss of me. You know, it's like... Well, let's just see how this goes, right? Uh, so God wounded him. Poof, touched his hip and took his power away, his strength away, and he collapses against Jesus. And, you know, again, lifeguard picture. You know, I, I've never been a lifeguard, but, uh, but I, I do understand this much, that when a lifeguard goes to rescue someone who is struggling in the water, when that person, you know, when they're, crisis oh you know i'm gonna drown and they they'll try to grab onto the lifeguard won't they so what will a lifeguard do sometimes we'll kick him away now doesn't that seem like an incredibly cruel thing to do to someone who's struggling help help you know it's like it's like well what the lifeguard knows is that until the person stops fighting and totally trusts them and lets them take charge of the situation Nobody's getting rescued. Until we stop fighting, until we just say uncle and lie on our back, right? We're not, we're not able to, to, to be rescued. So God wounds him and Jacob collapses into God and as he's grabbing on, what does he say? He says, bless me. I'm so weary of wrestling. Bless me. I won't make it on my own. I need you. I give. I can't do this. Jacob knew that, that in saying bless me, his understanding is that, that only the greater can bless, blesses the lesser. And in saying bless me, he's saying uncle, I give. I can't do this anymore. I need you. Listen to this quote. They are the words God has waited over 40 years to hear. I give. He would have preferred that Jacob recognize his helplessness and cast himself on the mercy of his God long before. See, I believe in crisis. That's what God is looking for. Right? That we would fall into him. That we would be so quick to say, I give. This is so beyond my understanding. I don't have a clue what to do in this situation. Right? And what does he want from us? Just, just to fall into him and, and to say, I give. And, 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 and Jacob says, bless me. And, and look at the blessing he gives him. He changes his name. Right? In Jacob's culture, your name was so intertwined with who you are. Right? So what does Jesus say to him? What's your name? Jesus knew his name. It's not, you know what I mean? Hello, my name is. He knew his name, but he wants Jacob to hear this. What's your name? My name's Jacob which means deceiver, right? Which means, you know, wrestler and manipulator and all that I've been doing. And Jesus goes, yeah, well, here's your blessing. I'm giving you a new name. This is who you are now. Your name's Israel. Because you've wrestled with man and now you've wrestled with God and you won. You've overcome. And I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, he didn't win the fight. <laughs> he got whooped. 
right? God put a little Spock move and, you know, wrenched his, I mean, it's like he didn't win the fight. It's like, what do you mean, God? What do you mean that, he, that he's overcome? Jacob won the wrestling match by losing, by saying, uncle, I give, I give, I submit to you. See, it's always been God's plan as our creator who knows us. It's always been his plan that we would submit to his guidance, that we would submit to his leadership, to his plans, that, uh, to what he says for our lives. See, when I look at that, when I look at us as humans, and especially in our culture, it's like, yeah, but that's really hard. I mean, submitting totally goes against the grain of our culture, doesn't it? I mean, there's something just in us that rebels against anyone telling us what to do. But, but this isn't just anyone saying submit to me. It's not a peer. It's not another human being. It's the creator. It's the, it's the king of all kings. It's God saying submit to me. You know, there's a story. Um, remember Moses? Yes. Okay. Two words. Um, his sidekick, Joshua, this young guy, you know, that would, was always with Joseph, or was always with Moses, which I just think would have been an, an amazing thing to be hanging out with Moses all the time. But he was this young warrior, and when Moses dies, you know, Joshua takes over. Now he's leading the people, and they're going into Canaan and, you know, the promised land, and Joshua's like, he's doing what he was made to do. They're just whooping on everybody. You know, they're just marching through the land, and, and they're at this uh, place where they're now going to, they're standing in front of the city of Jericho, and they're getting ready, you know, they're making plans to go and take the city. And this is out of Joshua 5. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up, looked out on the field, and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him. Here's this young warrior and asked, you know, are you, are you for us or are you for our enemies? You know, he's like, there's going to be some challenge. And I love this response. It says, neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Now that's submission. See, because here's the thing, and what, what I see God saying to Joshua in the story and what, I, what he's saying to us today is, I haven't come to take sides. I haven't come to just be, you know, sort of a little addition to your life. I'm not an app, right? I haven't come to take, take sides. I've come to take over. I'm the king of all kings. I mean, you're alive right now because I'm keeping you alive. I'm the creator, right? I'm, 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 I'm the greater. You're the lesser, right? And so when he says, submit to me, he's, he's not saying it because he's insecure and he's on an ego trip and saying, come on. It's because he loves us and because he's the lifeguard of all lifeguards. He knows that if we don't, if you don't, you could drown. You're going to go under. But because he loves us, because he knows us, he's here to save us. And, and, and all we need to do, you're looking at the crisis in your life. You don't have to go, you don't have to come up with a plan like Jacob. All you need to do is just collapse into him. Because see, my hunch this morning is that there are a lot of weary people. And maybe your hip isn't out. Maybe it is, but, but you're weary because you've been wrestling. And, and you know what? All God requires of you is just to fall into him today. Let him hold you. Let him support you. And let him tell you what, what he says you need to do. So why don't we stand up? Here's how we're going to end off. <laughs> Bless yous. You know, I think there's, there are many people here today that, that um, you have Esau's. You know, Esau's standing outside the door of your house with 400 men and you are overwhelmed. It could be relation, it could be in your marriage, it could be with a child, it could be in your business, it could be, you know, in your, with your health. We want to pray to, for you today. We want to pray God's comfort and peace. God wants to meet you 
in this crisis. Um, I felt, uh, uh, and this is, this is a, a sensitive one, but I, but I would encourage you to get prayer. I, I, as I prayed about this weekend, I felt like God said, I want to minister to people with eating disorders. Um, you know, that could be uh, anorexia, bulimia, it could be, you know, just, just like food owns you. And I believe God wants to come and he wants to heal something in you. Uh, another group that I, that I just came to mind was, you know, we're talking about submitting and, and, and wrestling with God and, and Jacob, you know, always, you know, fighting for what he had to get. I believe that, there's, that there are people here today that uh, how you were raised, the home you were raised in, maybe it's the home you're in right now, that, that trusting is really hard for you, that you know, you grew up in, a, in, a, in an environment where if you don't look out for you, nobody's looking out for you. And I just feel such a, uh, a tenderness for you. And I know it's just a drop of how God feels for you. And if it's hard for you to trust, and if you feel like you always have to fight to, you know, for, to get stuff in life, God wants to come and, and just heal you with his love. He wants to remind you and show you that he's with you and that you're not alone and that he wants to protect you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to constantly be with you and, and watch over you. So <clears throat> if any of those words register with you, we want to pray for you. So uh, Kaylin's going to lead us in a song. Just come forward. Come to Jesus. Come to the lifeguard of all lifeguards. He's here to rescue uh, and to save today. And, and so as people come, you know the drill. Let's have guys pray for guys and, and gals for gals. But uh, come to Jesus and we'll end off with a song. Make sure that everyone has some, someone praying for them.
you know, we, uh, we still have a, few, a couple minutes left, and uh, I just kept feeling like God was nudging me that there, there's some people here today that you're overwhelmed with credit card debt, uh, that you're not even sure you're going to be able to pay all your bills, and I just want to encourage you. I know that that's incredibly, that's humiliating, and there's a lot of shame around that, but I would encourage you... Uh, to let someone know uh, we have uh, you know even you could let me know we have people in the church that I could connect you with that could help you I also had a sense that um, during worship today that there are people that you didn't go to take communion today because you just felt too guilty to take communion and I just I, you know I was gonna say something during worship but then I thought who's gonna who's gonna get up and take communion after that word because nobody we all want to look so cool but uh, I just want to encourage you that we take communion to remember what Jesus did in the cross, that we're forgiven for all our sins. And just, this to, just to encourage you, that never, don't let that ever keep you, stop you from taking communion. That's why we take it, to remind us that he's our savior and that he, uh, he forgives us for all our sins. So let me, let me pray for us and then we'll send you on your way. Lord, uh, thanks for this morning. Thanks for um, just all... Uh, just all the ways you're coming close right now. Lord, I thank you that uh, because you love us, you, uh, you allow struggles in our lives. Lord, that's, that's just so common in life. I pray that it would become more and more common in our lives to run to you, to be quick to run to you. Lord, I pray that you'd watch over us this week and... Uh, uh, watch over our families. Just thanks again for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, there's lots of sign-ups in the lobby. Please uh, check that out. Also, baptism meeting is a uh, prayer room. You go out this way down the hallway. It's right back here. Don't forget, uh, financially given to the Macapaw base in Brazil. But bless you. Have a wonderful, uh, wonderful afternoon. <laughs>